Good morning. It's uh, good to be with you, and certainly an honor uh, to have this opportunity. Uh, so thank you uh, for giving me the opportunity. So um, if you've read the news at all in the past 50 years, uh, you may have come across some stories of folks who have tried to barge their way uh, into the White House. Uh, take, for example, 20-year-old private first class Robert Preston, who took a helicopter from Fort Meade, went on a joyride through Washington, D.C., and then decided to aim towards the White House. And as he went towards the White House, Secret Service opened fire on him, and yet somehow the helicopter landed gently on the front lawn, a hundred yards from the executive mansion. Uh, or maybe you've heard about Mikhail and Tariq Salahi, who on November 24th, uh, 2009, performed the ultimate party crash. They went to the White House state dinner for Indian Prime Minister Man Mahan Singh as uninvited guests. Or maybe you heard or read about Omar Gonzalez, who in September of 2014 jumped over the White House fence, ran right through the front door, took out one security guard, but was stopped by an off-duty agent after that. Mr. Gonzalez claimed that he needed, to, he needed to tell the president that the atmosphere was collapsing so that he could alert the public. Or maybe you've read the one a bit more recently about Marcy Anderson Wall, who in late March of 2017 uh, was arrested, uh, not once, uh, not twice, but three times in the course of one week for trying to scale the White House fence. Uh, one time, officers even found her hanging upside down, stuck by her shoelaces to the inside of the fence. Um, these are just a few of the stories, perhaps, over the past 50 years of folks who tried to barge their way into the White House. Now, you see, the problem uh, with their stories is not that the president is unapproachable. Uh, you can certainly meet the president. The problem is they tried to meet the president uh, on the wrong terms. You don't take a helicopter and fly towards the White House and expect to be able to land on the front lawn without drawing attention or run through the fence or barge your way through. Right? So they tried to approach the president on the wrong context, on the wrong means. Uh, some would say they didn't even have the right credentials or they didn't even have the right authority to be able to meet the president. And so... While some of us here uh, probably wouldn't go to those extreme lengths uh, just to get a little face time with the president uh, and risk imprisonment even, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that all of us uh, in this room, at some point, uh, we've wondered, uh, we've questioned, uh, some may have even longed to think or wonder how can I meet with God? Some of us don't even have to wonder uh, because we say, man, with the week that I've had, the terrible week that I've had, I'm pretty sure God wouldn't want to even meet with me. And so David, uh, in Psalm 24 uh, this morning, uh, presents for us uh, maybe a similar situation. Uh, he gives us... Uh, 
God and who God is. And then he says, you can't just approach this God by yourself. You have to approach him with certain credentials and certain requirements. Um, And so this morning, as we walk through Psalm 24 uh, together, uh, I want to help us look at it uh, with two things in mind. Uh, One, uh, I want us to see who this God is that we have. And then secondly, what is required uh, for us to be able to come to this God that we have. So who is the God uh, that we have? And then secondly, what is required to be able to come to this God that we have? And so uh, before we begin, uh, would you join me uh, in prayer uh, asking uh, for the Lord's help uh, this morning? Uh, Father, we're grateful this morning uh, to be able to be here, uh, to be in your presence, uh, to be able to give you worship uh, and honor uh, and praise and to fellowship together uh, as brothers and sisters. And so this morning, um, as we uh, work uh, from your word, I pray that your spirit uh, would work and have its way in our hearts uh, and in our minds and in our ears uh, as I speak uh, and others listen. Uh, Father, would would grace uh, penetrate our hearts this morning? Would the spirit move and penetrate our hearts this morning? morning. Father, we love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we said, uh, we're in Psalm uh, 24 uh, this morning. Uh, Again, that can be found on page 458 uh, of the Bibles uh, in front of you, uh, and you will want to try to keep it open there as we walk through Psalm uh, 24 uh, together. Uh, So if you're reading along with me, Psalm 24, page 458, David writes in verses 1 to 2, he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. David opens Psalm 24 with a profound declaration about who this God is. David says that, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so everything, everyone, uh, every animal, uh, every insect, every bug, uh, the atoms that are floating through this room right now that you can't even see, uh, uh, every grain of sand on all the oceans and the beaches, every fish, Uh, in the sea, all the stars uh, that we can see, uh, the sun that we can, and that cool solar eclipse that we got to see, and everything like that, uh, and the billions upon billions of stars uh, that we can't see, and the many more that astronomers have yet to even be able to discover. All of those things belong to the Lord, right? In the opening pages of the Bible, we see in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And so the earth belongs to the Lord because he made it, he founded it, and because he established it. So David is painting the picture. He's giving a declaration of who is this God that we have. He is the all-controlling creator of everything. And that goes beyond just uh, the earth. Uh, It goes beyond just nature, plants, animals, stars, and galaxies. Because how quickly um, do we forget uh, that our money is also, it's it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. Our houses, our cars, our material toys, none of that even belongs to us. All of that as well belongs to the Lord. And we uh, tend to selfishly believe that 
everything we own belongs to us. And we're the owner of all those things. And then how quickly do we lose sight of that reality that God controls and owns all things? And maybe we can take it even one step further to the fact that the very lives that we have, the the life standing here right now before you, the one sitting next to you, those lives don't even belong to their owners, right? Our lives don't even belong to us. Genesis 1.27, God says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God has created everything. Anything you can think of, God has created it in the universe, including you and I. And now because he created and founded all things, that gives him the right to own and control all things. It's as if God took a stamp and an ink pad and everything in the universe, everything in our homes, everything in the malls, everything we own, our lives, everything in the universe has the inscription on it made by God. And so in verses 1 to 2, David is laying this foundation for who God is. David's saying he's the all-controlling, all-creator of everything. And now as the creator of everything, uh, that gives him the right to be able to ask anything he wants of his creation. To own all things makes him king. And so the king has the right to ask anything he wants of his creation. And that's what we see in verses 3 through 6. We see those requirements that are going to be needed to come to this all-controlling, all-creating God. So if you're following along with me, Verses 3 through 6, David writes, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So David is asking, who can go before a God like this? Who can go before an all-creating, all-controlling God? Who can stand in his holy place? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who has the right credentials? Who has the right authority to be able to stand up to a God like that? Remember the mansion break-ins? The reason they couldn't get in, they didn't have the right credentials. They didn't approach on the right terms or the right standards or the right authority. Well, lucky for us, David has given us the credentials and the requirements to be able to stand before a holy God like that. David mentions in verse 4, the credentials uh, to meet with God is that he who has clean hands and a pure heart. So who can stand before a holy God? Who can ascend his holy hill? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The one who is physically perfect and morally perfect. The one who has been perfect in all of his outward actions towards others. 
and the one who with a pure heart has been 100% perfect in his relationship with God. Now, I have to admit, when I read that and when I was reading that, I don't know about you, uh, but I begin to think and feel like, wait a minute, I don't even know if I have a chance. I mean, just this past week alone rules me out. And so let me ask you, I mean, anyone feeling ready to raise their hand right now and say, I'll ascend the hill of the Lord, I'll stand before God, I've got a clean hand, and I've got a pure heart, right? Obviously, uh, we can't. Um, but do you begin uh, to feel the tension, uh, maybe a little bit, of what David is doing? He's saying, here's an all-controlling, all-creating God. But to meet with him, you have to have clean hands and a pure heart. And you think, I, don't, I can't do that. And so in case it's... And so in case it seemed possible, uh, and in case it was already hard enough, David tacks on two more credentials in the second half of verse 4. He says, Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So if it was already bad enough that you had to be perfect in your heart and perfect in all the things that you do, David now says, You can't have any idols and you can never tell a lie. And so to be perfect, um, to not commit adultery, is to be perfect in the way that you worship God all the time. That means never valuing something else above God. TV, jobs, money, uh, relationships, marriages, our children, etc. I don't have any children, actually, uh, but I do have a wife now, so I have learned that one. Um, yeah, so all of these things, right? You've never valued that above God once, never once. And then to not swear deceitfully is, again, to, to never tell a lie, meaning in your entire life since you've been born, you've never told a lie. And so now there's, there's four credentials and four requirements to be able to meet with a holy God. He says, you have to have clean hands. You have to have a pure heart. You have to have never had an idol other than worshiping God. And you have to have never told a lie in your entire life. Anyone ready feeling now maybe to climb the hill? I'm kind of shrinking at that, right? I mean, it just, you begin to feel the tension of, Man, this seems almost impossible. And maybe, uh, do I dare say, even a little bit hopeless? How am I going to meet with God? Because I may be able to go a week without telling a lie, but the other three, I just failed. And so we don't have the right credentials, and we don't have the right authority uh, to be able to meet with a holy, perfect God, the all-creating God who controls everything. And so, David, um, unfortunately, instead of giving us the answer, he goes right on, right, to boast about how great it is for those who can. Instead of giving us the answer to the tension right after it, like, hey, you want to meet with God? Here's what you got to do. You can't do it. Here's the answer. David's like, no, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to go right to verse 5 and verse 6. And David writes, he... The one who can stand before God, the one who can ascend his holy hill, will receive blessing from the Lord 
and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Generally, I love David as the biblical hero uh, that he is. But in this particular situation, I'm giving him like a three on the, on, on the you know, out of 10 scale. Because, you see, I think David is sort of teasing us a little bit because he shows us impossible requirements to be able to meet with God. We can't meet these standards on our own terms, right? We can't have clean hands. We can't have a pure heart. We have idols in our lives, and we tell lies, right? And then, by the way, if you could meet the standard, uh, but since you can't, uh, but if you could, I'm just going to pour salt on your open wound, and I'm going to tell you, if you could meet with God, man, you would have blessings and righteousness given unto you. And you're like, yes, I want that. And then David's like, no, 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 you can't have it because you're not perfect. You don't meet the standard required to stand before a holy God. And so if you didn't feel the tension now, or if you didn't feel the tension then, I hope you're beginning to feel it now. We want blessing and righteousness from God, but David's saying you have to be perfect to be able to get it. And so if it didn't feel hopeless now, when I finished verse verse 6, I felt hopeless. How am I going to meet with God if it's true that I can't be perfect? And as I was reading... I was wondering, did David, as he was writing that, ever feel that tension? Excuse me, I should use some water. But that'll be okay, I'll make it through. Um, I do wonder if David ever felt that tension in his own heart as he was writing, or even as he was reading back. Did David feel the tension in his own heart of his own lust, right? his lust after Bathsheba, and then his desire to commit adultery with her? Did he feel the guilt in his own hands when he tried to have the husband of Bathsheba killed? He did have her killed, actually. He did have him killed, actually, yeah. Um, And so the irony is that the author himself, David couldn't even meet the standards that he was writing about. David as king and all the kings before and everyone after couldn't meet the standards that David's writing about and laying out about what it takes to come to God. And so for all that David did and for all that we're able to do, thank you very much. do apologize. And so for all, excuse me, for all that David did and for all that we're able to do, it just isn't enough to be able to meet the standard of God. It just simply falls too short. And so we're left seeing, and I hope you and I would agree, that we have a world full of unclean hands and impure hearts and a world that is full of idol worshipers and lying sinners like you and me. And so thus we still have this problem. It started in verse 3, 
and that we can't be the perfect people we need to be to be able to stand before a holy, all-creating God. We can't be the people we need to be to be able to receive blessings and righteousness from God. We don't have the right credentials, and we don't have the right authority. And so now you're at, we, we, we ask ourselves and we say, then there must be a solution, right? There has to be a solution to the tension of this problem. David can't just leave us there, could he? Would he really do something like that? And so pick up with me now in verses uh, 7 through 10, where David writes, he says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory, the Lord of hosts? He is the king of glory. Now, if you're like me, um, at first glance when you read that, that doesn't look like a solution uh, to the problem. It doesn't sound like a solution. So just hang with me uh, for a few moments. In Psalm 24, uh, this is the first and only reference um, through all of Scripture uh, that the king of glory is mentioned. Uh, it's actually mentioned five times in just those three verses, uh, seven uh, through ten. And so I think that David, uh, when he was writing verses seven through ten, um, and remember the verse numbers are not inspired, so when he was writing this section, I think he was writing better than he knew. Because, see, David was writing about a king, and not just any king. He's writing about a king of glory. And David presents that king of glory as God. And so he wrote of kings in the nation of Israel who would return from battle, returning from battle victorious with the army following behind them, celebrating of the king's victory in battle. And so the history of the church throughout generations has read Psalm 24 as a celebration, a celebration of the return of a king. And verses 7 through 10, David presents God as that king. And not just any king, he presents him as a warrior king. And not just any warrior, but David says in verse 8, he is the Lord. He is strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The king of glory. And so what David penned in Psalm 24, I think it found its fulfillment years later in the New Testament in Jesus Christ, the one that we now call the king of glory. And it's not just finding its fulfillment in Mark chapter 11, where Jesus rides in on a triumphal entry on a donkey into Jerusalem. But no, I think, uh, and I believe, 
that Psalm 24 finds its fulfillment in much more than just his triumphal entry. You see, because what David penned in verses, in actually all of Psalm 24, and remember how we needed credentials to be able to meet with God, to be able to stand before God, there were requirements. We needed to be perfect in our hands and in our hearts. We needed to have no idols, and we needed to have never told a single lie. And the problem was we couldn't meet those standards to be able to stand before the king. And so what David has done is David has answered the solution to the problem of the tension in that you and I, we could not go to the king by ourselves. And so the king has come to us. We couldn't go to God. And so God says, I'll go to you. I'll send the king to you. And so the king came to those who by themselves could never meet the credentials of coming to the king. However, uh, when this king of glory, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, when he entered the scene, unlike other kings who went to battle, this king, Jesus Christ, when he came to battle, it was not his enemies who became bloodied, but it was the very king himself who was willing to be bloodied. This warrior, this king of glory, at the end of the day, has not come to defeat us, but rather he's come to fight for us. This king has come to us, having taken the judgment that was due to us, rather than distributing it out on us. He conquered evil for us. He faced the power of sin and Satan for us. He suffered for us. He faced death for us. He faced defeat through death for us. He fought all the battles for us, all the battles of anxiety, suffering, trials, struggles, and temptations, all so that we don't have to. He came to us so that we don't ever have to think about how we can meet the credentials of going back to him. Is that not a wonderful, relieving feeling to know that the solution to the problem of being perfect before a holy God is not going to be based on what we have to do or what we have to say, because the truth is we're never going to be able to be perfect to stand before a perfect and holy God. And so because we couldn't go to the king on our own accord, the king has come to us, and he removes that tension of perfection. And so, friends, this is a king that you and I need. This is a king that you and I desperately need need. Because you see, he is the one who has done what is required to be able to stand before the holy God. He is the one who has done what is required to be able to ascend the hill of the Lord. He brings the clean hands and pure hearts 
to a bunch of unclean hands and impure hearts like you and I. He brings perfect worship of God to idolaters like ourselves. He brings honesty and truth to a bunch of liars. He brings forgiveness to rebels. He brings restoration to those of us who need fellowship with God. He brings peace to our anxiety. He brings hope to our doubt. He brings love to the unloved. And he brings strength to the weary. Jesus Christ, as the King of glory, brings the credentials and the standards that are needed to be able to come to a holy, perfect God. This is a king, then, that you and I need. Because, you see, to meet with God, to be able to have fellowship with him, to meet the credentials of perfections, it's not like I said, going to be on what we're able to do and what we're able to say. It's not going to be on our efforts. It's not going to be on the 365, seven days a week, seven years in a row, perfect attendance record of Seven Mile Road Church, right? It's not going to be if you're a good steward with your finances, if you have faithful Bible studies and faithful Bible readings. It's not going to be because you've been a good employee or a good boss or you have a healthy marriage or you attend GCM groups regularly. These are indeed evidences of a good healthy relationship that we have with God but they're not the credentials to be able to stand before God because if the credentials are perfection, as soon as you miss one Sunday service, you're no longer perfect in your Sunday attendance record, right? And so if there's any hope for us to be able to stand before a holy God, to be able to meet and fellowship with God, it's not gonna be on what we say, and it's not going to be on what we do, but it's all going to lie on the king of glory, the one who comes as the Lord strong and mighty in battle. It's going to be on trusting in what the king has done for us, Jesus Christ, the one who came, the one who came to those who needed him the most, that he died on the cross, suffered, was crucified and buried, and rose again so that we as Christ followers can even begin to think about having an audience with the king. All because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. He gave us the credentials needed to be able to meet with God. Now I recognize that many of us have lots of baggage and we have rough weeks and we have difficult times. And sometimes meeting with the king, meeting with God still feels hopeless. But you see, because of what Christ has done to give you the credentials that he has, to give you the requirements that he has to be able to stand before God, you don't have to worry. That's a certainty 
that we can have as believers when we meet with God. We can say, I don't have to hope that God's going to want to meet with me today because my week was terrible. I hope it's good enough to meet with God. We can say, I can and I will be able to meet with God because I trust in what he's done because I know that Jesus says, they're with me, and then we can say, I'm with him. Because of what he's done, we can say, I'm with him, and he'll say to those of us who follow and trust in him for his credentials and his requirements, we can say, I'm with him, and he'll say, they're with me. And I recognize uh, that some of us here uh, might be unsure uh, of our relationship uh, with God, uncertain if maybe where does Jesus fit into my life, uncertain if I'm following Jesus. I'm actually not sure if I can meet with God right now. I'm not sure if Jesus is willing to say, you're with me, or if I could even say, I'm with him. If any of that crosses your mind, or if, if you're wondering, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus Christ, the King of glory? Uh, please uh, talk uh, to someone. You can come to myself. Uh, you can come to a member of the church, uh, any of the pastors here. Uh, we'd love to talk to you more and answer questions about who this Jesus Christ, the King of glory, is. Because, you see, you can't meet with God on your own terms. Nothing we have can we offer to God that's worthy enough to warrant him meeting with us and us meeting with him. You see, Jesus Christ is the only one who qualifies to be able to enter into the presence of God, and more so, even into heaven. And you see, Jesus Christ doesn't have to worry about trying to sneak over the fence. He doesn't have to worry about trying to barge in through the gates, past all the guardian angels that you and I have, right? He doesn't have to worry about crashing the wedding party or the supper or the dinner, whatever might be going on. He doesn't have to worry about that. He gets to go straight to the throne, and he gets to go straight to God, and he gets to go straight to God and intercede for us on our behalf so that he can say, those folks who want to come meet with you, God, they're with me. And anytime we want to meet with God, we can say, I'm with him. He goes to the Father and stands before him so that all who follow him can stand before him too. And so coming to God is not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. Let me give you an example. Uh, ten years ago, uh, I had the opportunity uh, to travel to Nigeria. And now before we went to Nigeria, uh, we did all the work uh, that was necessary ahead of time. We studied up on the culture. Uh, we learned uh, a couple of words uh, in the local language. Uh, we read about their social and economic status. We learned about maybe different types of foods they like uh, to eat. Uh, we put out our, our mission trip letters to raise money and finances. We went and we got our passports and our visas. We did all the work we thought was necessary for us to be able to enter into Nigeria. 
And so when we got to the Nigeria International Airport, we were ecstatic because we had our papers in hands. We had everything we thought we needed to be able to enter through the gates and get into Nigeria. And so you could perhaps maybe imagine that when we got to the gate and the words from the guard said, you can't pass through. You don't have the right credentials. You don't have the right authority. We were flabbergasted. I mean, we thought we did everything right to be able to go into Nigeria, to be able to pass through the gates. But no matter what we had, no matter what we did, it just wasn't enough to be able to get through. It wasn't enough to meet Nigeria, so to speak. Now, I'd still be standing there, hoping to get into Nigeria uh, 10 years ago, if it wasn't for someone else. Because you see, while we stood there in Nigeria, at the airport, hopeless, under no conditions of ourselves, were we gonna be able to get in now? A man walked in, and he came right to us, and he looked at the guard, and he looked at us, and he said, there with me. And just like that, on this man's authority and on this man's credentials, just like that, we right in, like <laughs> packed up our bags, tied up our suitcases, put everything together, and just walked right in, just kind of waved by the security guard, and we could not figure what happened. Right, but on this man's credentials and on this man's authority, we walked right in to Nigeria. Friends, what that man did for us and our team in Nigeria is exactly what Jesus Christ does for us with God. Because you see, we are unable, I know maybe I sound like a broken record, but we are unable to meet with God on our own. We don't have the credentials. We don't have the authority to be able to meet with him. And so just like that, the king of glory comes and dies on the cross, rises again, so that those who follow in him can go and meet with God on his credentials. And just like that, we get to walk in. And so when the king of glory says, open the gates that I can come in, we can follow right behind on his coattails and we don't even have to wonder. We can say, I'm with him. And he's going through the gates, and so am I. That's what the king of glory does for us. That's what the king of glory does for us to solve the tension and the problem that we have of wondering, am I good enough to meet with God? You don't have to wonder if you're good enough. You can simply say, I know I'm good enough because I know that Jesus will say, they're with me and I'm with him. And I could stand before God and say, God, don't look at me. I didn't meet those requirements. I lied today. Uh, I had impure hearts and I had bad hands and I, I have idols. And we could say, God, look to Jesus because Jesus is the one who has the credentials and has the authority. He stood in your place. He stands before you. He ascended the hill so that you and I don't have to. And so we're unable to meet with God on our own. And the king came to us with his credentials and his authority so that we can meet with God. 
even right now, as a brother was praying with me this morning, the ability for you and I to fellowship and worship right now and to even give our hands in worship to God is because he gives us clean hands and pure hearts to be able to fellowship at Seven Mile Road each and every Sunday morning. And so as we try to think about what this looks like, as we wrap up, I want to recap and put the whole story together. Right? So David says we have a God who is all-controlling, who is all-creating, who is perfect and holy. Right? And there's requirements to be able to meet with a God like that. You can't just come in on a whim. You can't just crash into holiness unannounced, so to speak, like those who are trying to come into the mansion, right? There's requirements to come to a holy God and a perfect God. And he said, you have to have clean hands and a pure heart. You have to have no idols. You have to have not told a single lie in your entire life. And there's a problem with that. We can't meet that standard. And so we're left hopeless. And so God sees that and he says, I will provide a solution to that problem. I will send you a king of glory. I will send you one who can open the gates to fellowship with me so that we can meet back with him. David writes in there, he says, ascribe to the Lord. Give him all this praise. Give him all this glory because of what he has done for you. He's the king who can open the gates to fellowship with God. And so when we take time, if it's not this morning, uh, maybe if it's even this week, if you'll allow me to encourage you to think through and consider that our abilities to approach God each and every morning, at any hour of the day, under any circumstance, no matter what we're going through, we can approach God because the King of glory opens the gates to that fellowship, and we can walk in each and every time to be able to meet with God. And when we take time to consider the celebration that's, um, that's warranted for having a king who does that, so that the Lord, strong and mighty, the one who was mighty in battle, who conquered all, and has come to us so that we can go back to the king, not on our standards, but simply on his coattails. The king has come to us so that we can go to him on his coattails. Would you pray with me this morning?